Welcome to episode 255 of Stageworthy. I'm your host, Phil Rickaby. Stageworthy is a podcast about people in Canadian theatre featuring conversations with actors, directors, playwrights, and more. Thank you for listening. If you want to support Stageworthy, consider dropping some change in the virtual tip jar. You can find a link in the show notes. Your support helps me continue to bring you great conversations in Canadian theatre. If you like Stageworthy and you listen on Apple Podcasts, I hope that you'll leave a five-star rating and a comment. Your ratings and comments help new people find this show. Or, even better, if you know someone that you think will like this show, tell them about it. Some of my favorite podcasts became my favorites because someone I know told me about them. And remember, you can find and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and everywhere you get podcasts. You can find Stageworthy on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at StageworthyPod, and you can find the website with the archive of all 255 episodes at StageworthyPodcast.com. If you want to drop me a line, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Phil Rickaby, and my website is philrickaby.com. My guest this week is Sarah Rankin. Sarah is the director of the Fundy Fringe Festival, which this year produced its festival both socially distanced in person and with digital productions. So how uh, how were things? How how was how was Fringe? Fringe was good actually. I yeah. didn't think it would happen, but it happened, and uh, it was an ever evolving process of pivoting. I hate that word, but uh, recontextualizing mm. and just trying to meet with all the guidelines as they changed and as we could keep up with them. So what what did uh, the Fundy Fringe look like this year? How did how did it get put together? What what were the performances like? Like what what did Fringe in the time of COVID look like for you? It was predominantly local artists. Um, so I we had nine acts, and of those nine, eight of them were either from St. John, living in St. John or were individuals who were originally from St. John, but had moved home because of the pandemic or had chosen to come home for Fringe and do the self-isolation for the two weeks prior. Mm. Uh, We had one act that uh, was from Toronto actually, and had recorded an audio play that actually tied in with New Brunswick's history. And I had connected with them through the Toronto Fringe um, and really liked what they were doing. And so mm-hmm. I, you know, we chatted and they came on board as well. Nice. Um, now when the, the pandemic struck, I was talking to like near the beginning of all of this, I was talking to Lucy Evely, uh, from CAF and the Toronto fringe about all of the stuff that was going on and, and, and all of the, the, the changing whatever. And, and around the time when they had decided to cancel the Toronto fringe, um, were you in, in St. John looking at canceling at, at any point? Like, like this must've been such a, a yo-yo of, of planning to get this out the door to, to, to even figure out if you could do it. Yeah. We never, ever had that word 
cancel come up with us. It was never something that we even thought about. We always kind of knew in our minds that no matter what, we were going to put together a festival somehow, be it completely virtual, be it completely uh, in person, we were going to do something. Um, and so initially, yeah, it was going to be just virtual. We were going to have artists, just our local artists. We had to unfortunately say, you know, maybe next year, hopefully next year to our international artists and to our artists who were coming to us originally from other parts of Canada. Mm-hmm. Um, and we held all their spots for 2021. We refunded them and uh, we reached out to the local artists, said, what do you want to do? And a lot of them said that they were very interested in, in doing something virtual. And some of them said no, that they would prefer to do, not do that. And that, mm. that was completely okay with us. Virtual theater and, and live stream theater isn't for everybody. And some art forms may not work in that. And that is completely okay. And that's completely valid. Uh, so those artists that said, you know what, we'll, we'll try something. The original plan was bring them in to the studio. Cause we had already been doing a bit of live streaming with some other events, uh, music events and things like that. Mm-hmm. And so we knew we had that capability to do those things. So we were going to have them come in to the studio, record their show, and then have that available for a week or two online. And then as we started to get closer and closer, restrictions started to loosen up because New Brunswick has been in a really good place, uh, COVID related, simply because Mm. of how small the population is and how spread out the population is as well. Um, Mm. We don't really have any pockets of super dense population. So we have done pretty well, all things considered. Uh, Mm. And then the announcement was made that businesses could open up and we had a big conversation with uh, our provincial authorities say, you know, when you're saying business, does that include theater? Because for mm. us, the arts is a business. Uh, and they s- said, you know, provided you can meet these certain guidelines and go ahead and open. So the guidelines were like many places. We had to ensure physical distancing. We had to ensure that there was contact tracing and we had to make sure that people were wearing masks. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had that conversation within ourselves too, that, Um, we're not an essential service. And so we don't need to let people in necessarily that could not meet with our restrictions. And so we we made it very clear to our population that in order to come into the theater, you had to wear a mask until Mm. you were sitting down in your seat Uh, and that we would be doing contact tracing and that we would be taking temperatures at the door uh, and that we would have very specific pathways that people would need to follow to get in and out of the theater. Um, we told our artists that, you know, there is this kind of taped out box on the stage and that is your space. And we ask that you stay within that space while you're performing. And like many performers, there's always that instinct to rush out to the audience afterwards and maybe give a friend a hug or check in with a loved one who's there watching you. But we had to make it very clear you need to wait and and do that somewhere else outside of the building. Um, and everybody was really good about it. That was the most wonderful thing that came out of it was everybody was so respectful of the regulations and everybody was so respectful of boundaries. It was really awesome to see. We didn't have any situations with anybody saying, well, I don't want to wear a mask. I shouldn't have to wear a mask. Everybody was really good about it. 
Um, and those people who weren't comfortable with wearing them uh, going into public or coming into the space, they were able to catch a lot of our acts from live stream. So anything mm. that we had in studio, we live streamed. And we also had several things that were simply pre-recorded as well. So we tried our best to make everything that we did accessible to everybody. Well, I was noticing, you know, you mentioned doing some live streaming stuff previous in the in the the, the BMO theater there, um, and I I noticed that uh, previously that you you know you had a camera, you had a stage manager, you had you were able to live stream from the theater, and I think for me that's one of the things that has been missing from some of the virtual theater that we've been doing is it has been mostly people in their homes on something like zoom and a number of faces that way. But you seem, you were doing like people in the theater with the live stream happening, which helps to keep that theater feel. So you still felt like you were in a theatrical space and that must've been a great way to sort of, um, sort of be prepared for live streaming from the theater during fringe. It was really important to me that even if somebody couldn't be there with us, that they could at least feel like they were there with us. And so for me, it became very important that capturing the sound from the audience was going to be important. Having a pre-show where you can hear those little bits of chatter you know, that pre-show chatter that you hear from an audience. Mm -hmm. It's so important to that overall experience of feeling like you're back in a theater space. Um, and having, you know, with the investment that we did into the cameras we used. So we had a three camera setup. We had one that was located in our booth that uh, our wonderful, incredibly talented uh, tech coordinator, Drew Murdoch, was handling uh, I don't think there would have been a fringe if it wasn't for him, honestly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I can sit here and talk and talk and talk, but I know I owe a lot of credit to him and his technological prowess. Uh, he was controlling the camera in the booth, zooming in and out when he could, switching between that and a, another camera that we had that was a stationary camera that was more of a center stage camera. Mm. And then finally a third camera that we had on a jib that was able to kind of sweep over and do these big wide long shots and create um, almost a cinematic feel to some of the shows, which, uh, and it all turned out so beautifully. Um, Brilliant. Yeah. It was really heartwarming. It, I, mm. I got chills the very first night we didn't uh, live stream anything the very first night we did it. We had one show and it was a local artist and it, we kind of treated them like our little, our little Guinea pigs <laughs> for lack of a better term right now, just mm. to see if we could do this. What was it going to feel like? What was it going to look like? Um, and it's an artist that we've worked with for many years. And so we were very comfortable going into it, knowing that if something went wrong, that this is an artist who wasn't going to be upset or mm -hmm. frustrated. It was somebody who's going to roll with the punches. Um, and just being in that theater space and watching the lights go down and hearing that first sound cue and that audience kind of suddenly hushing and the artist coming out, mm. I got chills. Mm. I started crying <laughs> <laughs> and I just looked over at, um, one of our volunteers and I just looked at them and I said, it's happening. We did uh, it. It's happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, and I mean, all, the setup that you're describing is like like that's a pretty incredible setup to 
to have available to give it the 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 theater feel and, and a little bit more than just like a zoom thing i think there have been some theaters that i've seen that have just sort of like put a camera at the back of the room and that's that's fine but to go the extra mile and, and put in to have like a three camera setup is pretty incredible and i think that that's yeah that's that's pretty awesome yeah it was i i'm not technologically savvy when it comes to those kinds of things unfortunately so i really was leaning on our uh leaning on drew with his knowledge leaning on brian goodwin who's our venue manager and leaning on anthony allen who is one of our technicians to really you know make it all come to life and make it all happen Mm. Uh, but yeah, it was a lot of investment. There was a, mm. a, a large sum of money that did get invested into purchasing all those cameras. But we went into that knowing that this is probably going to end up being our life for a while. Yeah. That it's something that we're going to have to do, not just as the fringe, but as the St. John theater company that we're going to have to be providing this as a means to access theater for a very hopefully not terribly long time, but definitely for a while. Yeah. Um, it, it seems to me that, I mean, a lot of theaters are sort of like they're everything is up in the air. I know here pretty much everybody has canceled their fall season. A few of them were saying, we're going to start back up in January, but you know, who knows it's, but I think the idea of, of live streaming from the theater, I think is something that, that, I don't know that a lot of theaters have really looked at to this extent. And, and again, to bring people into the theater, the number of times I remember like, you know, watching Hamilton on Disney plus made me long to be in a theater, but at least it was like a stage setup and something that I don't get when I sit down to a zoom show, you know? And so the idea of, of having this setup and now that you've made the investment, like even if the theaters were to open up again, I've been wondering for a while if now live streaming from the theater is a thing that we do. I kind of hope that it is because mm. it opens up the proverbial doors. Yes. Too many times we have people who can't get to the theater for so many reasons that are sometimes beyond our control and other times they are within our control. And we do often have to ask ourselves is who's coming into the house and how, do, how are we making sure that the house is prepared? And mm -hmm. I think this is one way that we can prepare the house to welcome people into our art circle is ensuring that we have this mode where anybody anywhere in the world, if they can get access to a computer or if we can somehow stream this out through other modes, such you know, mm. if local cable television, mm. or you know, even making sure that we have a diverse range of types of recorded content, not being exclusive to just the video, but also delving mm. into audio recordings and things like that. Mm. I think those are going to be really crucial to making sure that everybody who wants to participate in the arts as a as a viewer can regardless of their situation well to me the the like the, the the thing that sort of strikes me is the geographical thing yes there's you know sometimes people can't get to their theater because of physical barriers and things like that or they're not feeling well all of those things and and those are those are 
are so important to be able to address, but also now like to live stream now the theater scene is not so siloed. Like if we were to get live streams in the, like from so many theaters now, people in Toronto would be able to watch exciting theater in, in St. John and Halifax and in, in Edmonton and all of these places. Um, what a great way to open up the theater world to the world and to, to share it. And also it's an extra revenue stream to be able to offer that in some ways to, to, to people to say, you know, Yes, theater can be expensive, but here's a you know here's a live stream ticket that is doesn't cost so much. I think exactly, it's a, a great way to open things up. I think one of the things that we had decided to, and and our artists were on board with it, was we wanted to make sure that anything that was live streamed, if you couldn't be there in person, that it was going to be a pay what you can performance for them. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. that it that really opened up my eyes as well as as a festival director to the power of pay what you can because very often we you know I would check in with the artists and say well how's your pay what you can doing because we Mm. we chose to set it up that it would go directly into the artists bank accounts rather than having to go into our bank accounts and becoming a middleman I really didn't want to have to bother with that so all of our artists set up a paypal and we blasted that PayPal link out during the performances. We tagged it in the descriptions of the shows and all that. Mm. And uh, I had one artist I checked in with and I said, how, how are you doing with the donations? Are people donating to your show? And they quoted me a number. And I mm. thought that they were confused because that was what their box office payout was from when they did their show. And I said, no, I don't mean what you made in in-person ticket sales. I mean what you made from your live stream and she said no that's how much i made so she made the exact same amount Hmm. of in-person ticket sales as donations and she had people watching in from toronto from montreal Hmm. all these places and it was really amazing to see Uh, the only i wish that youtube had better analytics on those things because it just tells you what country it's coming from it doesn't tell you what part of the country it's coming from but i really wish i knew and you know where are these people watching because it was really awesome to you know, know that somebody out in Toronto is tuning in to this, you know, little fringe on the East Coast that only has nine axes here. You know, it's it's funny, to, like the, the idea of, of the YouTube stream, because the, the thing that's kind of awesome about that, when I, when I was talking to Rebecca Perry a while back about she was doing live stream of her show and she was involved with that show, the audio show that you brought in. Sarah Frank. Yes, she, she is Sarah Frank. Yes. Yes. She's amazing. So talented. Oh my gosh. Yes, she is. Um, She was talking about when they, when she live streamed her show from her parents' basement uh, early on in the pandemic, they had, they did it through live, uh, through YouTube and they had somebody manning the live chat so that they could like, be so somebody was posing as her during the show but like they were carrying conversations and people were commenting and you could do things like where are you from and things like that that's so exciting to be able to do that and have people who are online be able to react to the show in a way that they you know we can't hear them applaud but they can like through chat applaud and things like that so that's a really exciting uh way uh to go forward behind the scenes of this year's fundy fringe um, once you read, once you knew that you were going to be able to do it in person, you, you mentioned the changing, um, um, nature of the, the guidelines and the regulations for, for spacing. Um, how agile did you have to be in order to comply with all of that? 
Um, I think we had to be agile in the sense that when a restriction got lifted, we looked at it. If it was something we felt that we could handle, then we would do our, then we would work through that and we would work it out. And there was definitely times even during the festival when we had kind of laid out a game plan and then mid festival went, no, that's not going to work. We have to change this. And so you do have to be quite agile and you have to be very willing to change and make changes and just accept them um, and try not to take it personally. <laughs> um, you just have to keep in mind that you're trying to provide the best experience possible for your patrons, for your volunteers, for your mm -hmm. artists. And that's who it really matters in the end. That's who yeah. matter for us, at least in the end, was did those people have a positive experience? Because they're the ones that are taking the biggest risk. The artists are taking the biggest risk by putting themselves out on the line, putting art on the stage during a pandemic and keeping mm. their fingers crossed that people want to come out to see theater still and that people are comfortable with coming to the theater. The volunteers are taking a risk by, you know, being that first person on the front line with the patrons. They, mm -hmm. It could have gotten pretty ugly. Luckily, it didn't. And the patrons mm -hmm. are taking a risk too because they're taking a risk on you as a festival that yeah. you have done everything proper to keep them safe. And mm -hmm. we got a huge positive response from that, that people felt exceptionally safe and that uh, it was very well handled. And that, that made me feel really good about what we did. Mm. Um, I guess, I mean, for me, one of the things that's always great about performing in a fringe is being able to, um, you know, connect with other artists to, to meet other people. Um, did you feel like that was an aspect that was missing this year because of all of the distancing that people couldn't meet and get together and things like that? Or, or, or how, how did that aspect of fringe function? It def I definitely felt it for some of our artists because we did have obviously some artists that couldn't be with us right then and there, you know, for example, with uh, Rebecca and Stephen Jackson from Sarah Frank being in Toronto um, it was very, you know, there's no way for us to get them all the way over to the East Coast, sadly. Um, and we had some artists that were coming to us from another city and they were just, you know, basically driving down and then going right back after their show. And so I think we did miss that component to a certain extent. Hmm. But uh, those artists that you know, because most of them were from St. John, a lot of them would just, you know, they'd all hit up a bar afterwards or you go to somebody's house and hang out for a hmm. little bit. Um, we popped a bottle of champagne or two or three at the end of the festival. Um, and you try just to create those little moments. And we, we did a lot of work too, with, um, doing artist interviews pre-festival, trying to, you know, show that, give the artist a voice outside of their show. Mm -hmm. Um, and I, I feel like that may have helped a little bit with it just to get a, yeah. just to provide a face and provide a person behind the art. I think that really helped as well with, you know, helping our patrons get to know the artists a little better and feel connected more with the fringe. So we, we tried yeah. little things, but it is, it is difficult, especially all things considered. You can't go and have a big dance party and you can't have, you know, you can't have, there was no sense in us having an award ceremony because you've only got nine acts and they're all your best friends. So what are you going to do? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Um, which was kind of a relief. I was, it was kind of nice not to have awards for a mm. year because they, yeah. they, so, they can be so tempestuous sometimes. Yes. Yes. <laughs> um, the, uh, the, the, 
did you, I mean, did you find that the audiences like that where people felt free to come? Did, was there a demand for seats in person? Uh, at first it, we were surprised at how quiet it was when the first day that mm. tickets went on sale. Um, I, it was pretty quiet that day. We had a few phone calls, but then once word started getting around that people could, that you had to only buy tickets in advance. Cause that's the trick with St. John, St. John love to be last minute about everything. They only buy theater show tickets. They only buy tickets to the shows mm. like half an hour before the show starts. They don't right. know if they're even going to the show until it's about an hour before showtime. Right. And so this was a whole new experience for our patrons. The idea that, well, no, you can't just show up at the door and buy a ticket. You can't just right. walk in off the street into our box office and buy a ticket. You have to call us. Uh, so that took a little bit of education and a little bit of getting mm. the word around. So um, my summer student staff, they made this really hilarious, uh, base COVID protocol video that went through all this. It's super retro. It looks like it should have been on a VHS tape. I love it. It's hilarious. So we tried to find creative ways of getting that word out and, uh, hopefully we've, you know, made the people of St. John a bit more organized. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, in, in, in some fringes, um, you could you could sell it a show in advance, um, and you know I know in Edmonton like their ticket sales are all in advance. You can't buy a ticket at the door, and so it's interesting how how every fringe is different. Oh um, yeah, very much yeah. so. Yeah, Saint yeah. John. Is, I think the East Coast in general is unique in that aspect. It's a very casual lifestyle that we lead here. It's a yeah. very you know, roll with the punches and, you know, people don't like to make hard concrete plans because what if something else comes up? And so <laughs> they're very, we're, we're pretty relaxed type of people. We're, we're not the type to, you know, oh, the tickets went on sale today. Oh, that's great. Waits until <laughs> the day of, and then the phone's ringing off the hook all day right. long. Yeah. <laughs> on tickets. Um, you mentioned uh, the, uh, like doing interviews with artists uh, before the fringe. Um, is that something that you think was, was helpful in terms of like uh, audience communication and having the audiences really get to know the artists and drum up, uh, uh, interest in the shows in a way that, that you haven't done before? I like to think so. Um, it's, it's one of those things that, especially where there were predominantly local artists, it was kind of nice to hear, like people's backstories, because so often we work with all these people, we've, you know, we work with them year round, but you only see them in one capacity, which is as a theater person, you know, acting or performing or what have you, mm -hmm. you don't often know the person behind it. And so there was people that got interviewed that I've known for years and years and years. And I'm watching this interview and I'm going, Oh my gosh, I didn't know that about them. That's amazing. <laughs> How did I not know this? Yeah. So I, I hope that, you know, maybe not so much, you know, drawing attention to their show, but drawing attention to that the artist is not just somebody who's getting up on the stage to entertain you. This is a person. This is a, a human being who's got a life and a story. And hopefully that helps the patron to bond a little better because, I mean, you, you would know this as an artist yourself that you can have a amazing show, but be a really awful person and no one <laughs> will come into your show, but you can be everyone's best friend and have a kind of so-so show and people will come in flocks because they love you. 
Yes, yes. And absolutely. so I think that was a that was a big piece too that you know mm. just creating that bond between the patron and the artist to get that word out about them. Well, because there is that that an interesting thing because so many uh, fringe shows depending on the show, but a lot of them come from personal experience in some way. Some of them have that, that grain of, of facts, that grain of true story to them. Mm -hmm. And even just like talking about people's writing process and things like that, that's the entire reason I do this podcast for four years. Yeah. You know, it's like these stories, these questions that we never ask each other, these, these, these things that we, these origin stories for, for, for people that we've known that we don't, ask questions about when we never, so we never learn are fascinating in great ways to get to know and bond with an artist. Agreed. Yeah. It's, I think it's really important that the audience does find some sort of connection for sure. Mm. Now this year, I think, did you guys, did you get your, your, your core group of, of volunteers, your, your team together a little later than they normally would have come in or did they get to start at about the time that they normally would? Uh, so as far as the, our staff, our staff, started at their usual times. Um, there was definitely some conversations that were held in advance. I was, I'm very fortunate that uh, the crew of summer staff that I had last year all wanted to return and mm. I was able to bring them back on. And that really helped a lot because I was able to have conversations even before they were hired to say, mm. look, this is what we're possibly looking at. I need you to start thinking of ideas now. And even if they weren't even hired yet, they had no guarantee that there was even going to be a job because we still hadn't gotten the funding for it yet. They were still ready, like, yep, we're going to do this. We're going to work things out. And they flew into action. Our volunteers, um, we made a conscious decision this year with our volunteers that we were not going to do a traditional call for volunteers. We right. reached out to our usual suspects, the ones that have been with us for years and basically said, we need you this year because you know the ropes and we know we can mm. trust you. And so we brought in a core group of about 20 volunteers who were comfortable with being in public, wearing a mask, handling audience members and things like that. And uh, they were amazing. They were so good. I love them all to bits and pieces. There was only about 20 of them, but my gosh, they, mm. th we couldn't have done it without them for sure. Be yeah. it, you know, even little things, you know, just standing by the door to make sure that people know to go down that hallway and not up the mm -hmm. stairs like normal, you know, right. sc scanning tickets or making sure that if somebody needs the elevator, that there is somebody there to make sure that they can get to the elevator or mm. ensuring that they understand there's only one person allowed in the bathroom at a time. Mm. So just yeah. even the little things, it's, it's, it's one of those pieces that you don't realize how many people it takes to make mm. something like this work until you're in the middle of it. And we had, we had that conversation about, you know, shows we're going to be doing later on as a theater company is that you can't just have one person in your box office and say, okay, great. There's your ticket. Have a great show and send them up the stairs by themselves. You need person doing contact tracing, mm -hmm. you need person taking tickets. You need somebody ushering. You need somebody to watch the bathrooms. You need somebody to watch the elevator. You need a guide. So you're, you need more bodies. And yeah. I'm just so thankful that the ones that volunteered to come out agreed. <laughs> yeah. There are so many more moving parts to this now Yeah, um, for everything, but um, for theater and to get people into the theater and get everybody feeling safe. And, and, uh, and, and so it, it, 
to have all of those bodies. And, and it's sort of a great sort of dress rehearsal for the other things that the St. John theater company may do in the future to you. Now, you know, what is the minimum that you need to operate a theater in all of this? Yeah. We, we kind of went into the fringe knowing that we were going to be the testing ground for what the theater company was going to do in the future, because we were Mm -hmm. the first thing to happen in that space with a live audience since March. Right. And that was a lot of pressure, but we pulled it off with flying colors and, Mm -hmm. But we now know that there's a lot of pieces that are involved and there are some things that are going to have to change, as, mm-hmm. you know, as far as how people see theater now. And it's, it's all for the best because we just want everyone to stay safe and have a good time. Right. Um, in terms of, like, speaking of March, I mean, I know how things were in Toronto when, when all of this started and, and, and to see empty streets at rush hour and things like that. And, and all of that, what was, what was it like from the St. John perspective at the beginning of, of all of the madness? Uh, pretty much the same. It was, it was like a desert town. Um, but I mean, I'm sure from a Toronto perspective, St. John feels like a desert town anyways, <laughs> but it was, it was eerie, you know, none of the restaurants were open, no bars were open, no businesses were really open. Um, it was, it was very depressing actually. And Mm. I, I know personally for me, I, I just kind of lived in my house and, Mm. you know, I'm, I'm fortunate that my partner lives with me and we've got Mm. the cats and the dog. (laughs) Um, I was able to find ways to keep myself going. And I think the fringe Mm. was something that really kept me away from a very dark thought because it just kept me going because I knew that this had to keep going there was no way I was gonna let it just fade away because every single time I would sit on those weekly calf meetings and hear from my sister festivals and brother festivals that they were not going forward and every single meeting it was you know okay we're gonna cancel we're canceling we're canceling we're canceling and every single time it just broke my heart but it also kept motivating me to not quit because i didn't want to have to feel that because i could see it on their faces and i could see it and i could hear it in their voices every single time they said we're gonna have to cancel yeah it just ripped me apart i was i was not gonna let that happen Well, that's, that's good. I mean, it's, 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 it's hard. Cause you know, as, as, as somebody who's done fringes and who's a, a regular fringe patron to watch all of these fringes announce that they're not happening and to hear Edinburgh cancel, that was like a, Oh shit. Oh, that's when the, uh, that was the one that was like, no. Yeah. 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 And you know, Edmonton, like all of the ones that were canceling, it was just like, wow, you're like, there was a feeling of like, well, I guess that's the summer gone. Yep. You know, in some ways, um, as you were, as this was happening and you're sort of making plans for, for determined to make it, make sure that something still happens. Um, what, what was your process of doing that? Were you making lists? Were you, were you uh, like mind mapping? Like what was the, what, how, what were you working on as far as like trying to make sure that everything was still going to go ahead? Well, for me, Fundy Fringe is always 
and will always be rooted in the artists. The artists of the year shape the fringe. They make it what it is. And that's why fringe for us, our fringe every year is so different because new artists come to us with new ideas and we try to mold and shape it every year to make it into something that's going to work for them because ultimately it is for them. Um, and so the first thing I did was I had a town hall meeting where I invited all the artists that were drawn from our lottery for that year to explain to them what our options were. And the options were going completely virtual where everything was pre-recorded, or having people come in one at a time to live stream or, you know, in, in a good work. Cause I always kept hope that there was mm. going to be some loosening of restrictions. Mm. And I said, you know, in a, this is the dream goal, but I can never guarantee that dream goal. And, you know, just trying to keep in touch with them and keep in contact with them as much as I could just to, you know, even to check in to see how they're doing, you know, are you mm. eating? Are you sleeping? Yeah. <laughs> you need to talk. Um, and that, that for me was sort of my first step was just finding out from the artists what they wanted, what they wanted to see. And obviously mm. they all wanted to, you know, they wanted live theater. They want to be in the space. Sure. But who doesn't? Yeah, um, exactly. But they were also, I think they were all excited too, about the idea of recording and having that. Mm. And so that is something I think moving forward that we'll always be doing. Because one of the wonderful gifts that we were able to give back to the artists at the end of all this was a recording of their show. Ooh, that's so, that's so good. And, you know, just as a benefit, like I've paid people to have to record. I've sometimes set up a camera at the back, but to have, if you're recording off the three cameras that you have, that's a really excellent copy of, of a show with an audience that, 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 that is such a gift. Exactly. And in such a, a beautiful space, not, not tooting our own horn, but I, I, that BMO studio theater is absolutely gorgeous. No, you should toot the horn. That theater is gorgeous. <laughs> it's gorgeous. So, it's yeah. so beautiful. Yeah. Beautiful brick backdrop mm. and mm -hmm. the black cloths and the black floor and, you know, the yeah. professional lighting <laughs> rigs and everything. And, and a and a really good staff to work with that you know yeah. will do everything we can to make it the show that you want it to be. Mm -hmm. And we're still learning. We've we've learned a lot about live streaming and recording just over the fringe. That you know traditional theater lighting looks great when you're there in the room, but then you go mm. back and watch the recording and you go, "Ooh, that looks really dark." Should have yeah. brought, brought the lights up about half. Um, mm. and so learning those little things, you know, what's the best place to put the microphone so that it doesn't accidentally brush up against somebody's shirt or, right. or get in the way those, those mm. little tiny things. And so we're constantly finessing now what our recordings look like and what quality we're giving the artist. But that was, that was the one thing that I was, you know, all things considered, you know, I, I, I often felt like, oh my gosh. I can't believe these artists are doing this. What what can we give back to them? And people kept reminding me, like, you're giving them a full recording of their show. Yes. Like, that's worth its weight in gold for many artists because, you know, a lot of them are going to take that and use it for their demo reels now, or they're going to use it for audition purposes. And uh, I even mentioned to one person, I was like, you could use it to apply for Canada Council grants. And she was like, oh, I hadn't thought about that. I was like, I was just going a, to say, and also the first thing I thought of. <laughs> and for other curated festivals, a lot of times they will ask for a video of the show. Yeah. And so 
No, so that's just another benefit. Exactly. Submit that to a virtual festival. <laughs> just throw a little thank you in the bottom to the fundy friend. Yeah, there you go. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, in in out in in the Maritimes in in, in Saint John, the things are things are a little more open than they are here. Yes. Um, you guys opened restaurants a lot earlier than we did. Yes. Um, what what's the situation there currently? I mean, obviously, there's distancing inside. Um, are, 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 are restaurants and bars open for business? Um, are people eating inside or are they on patios? That sort of thing. Like what, what does it look like out and about in St. John right now? All the restaurants are open. All the bars are open. Many of them have reduced seating now. Um, and so you're not going to walk into, you know, a big crowded bar anymore. Um, people are expected to sort of respect and acknowledge physical distancing. Um, you'll still see a lot of people wearing masks when they go shopping. Um, but I, I, I'm finding lately, and this is maybe a concern of mine, mm. is I'm starting to see fewer and fewer people wearing masks because mm. we've become so comfortable with our happy little life here on the East Coast of, you know, we don't have any cases of COVID-19 right now that are in the community. Everything is very much contained because it's people who are, you know, traveling from overseas and coming in Mm. and then immediately self-isolating. So we don't have anything that's just kind of out there in the community. And so people have lost that fear of, and, you know, I'm hoping that it doesn't come back to bite us. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's, it is certainly really easy to lose that. It's really easy to, to forget, especially if you're looking around and things that there's some normalcy coming back in the, they, the numbers are being reported is so low. It's really easy to, to be like, well, they don't need this anymore. Yeah. Um, and hopefully you're right. Hopefully that doesn't come and bite it. But the, I know there's the, there's the maritime bubble, right? The tourism bubble. Yes, we have our Atlantic bubble. So that was announced probably about a month or so before the fringe that people could travel between the four Atlantic provinces, Newfoundland, PEI, Nova Scotia, New Brunswick. Mm. Um, and then even further to that, they did open up some very small regions of Quebec. Um, oh. The, they're very rural communities that are very far away from any sort of major centers within their own province. And right. they are communities that actually depend upon New Brunswick for their groceries because oh, the, the closest right. grocery store is in New Brunswick for them. It's, you know, it's a half hour drive versus mm. a two hour drive within their own right. province. Mm-hmm. So they did open up that little bubble. Um, so uh, a couple of French communities up there and uh, a First Nations community as well. Um, and you know, it's, it was one of those things I know a lot of people were very much like, this is a bad idea. This is a bad idea, but we haven't had any problems with it. Everybody has been respectful and they understand that Mm. it's day trips only. Um, but yeah, it's been, it's been pretty good. Knock on wood. Um, so I'm, I'm just hoping we can keep it up. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm always looking at, 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 at New Brunswick and, and the Maritimes going like, look, you know, it, it's, I mean, of course the population is, is smaller. You didn't have the case, the, as many cases to start out, but it's kind of like, it can be done. It can be done. Yes, you know? we do yeah. have, you know, the, I, I'm sure that, you know, I don't know what the province, the population numbers are like, but you know, it's, uh, it can't be that much different <laughs> <laughs> if you put all of us together. 
compared sure. to Toronto. Yeah. All th- all four provinces yes. <laughs> might be the population of Toronto. <laughs> You're a little bit more spread out if you look at it that way. Yeah, but it's still you know, yeah, definitely. But yeah. It, you know, I think I think that it's it's sort of it's nice to know at least at one place in the country in one area of the country. You know, there's some sense of, of of normalcy returning, and things are happening in a positive way there. Yeah, it's it's happening. It's starting. You know, we we do have our own little issues, though. I'm I'm finding, and I don't know if this is the same thing in Ontario right now, but um, I'm I'm starting to see a bit of a rise in uh, people rallying against having to wear masks and things like that. We actually had one of our shows interrupted by a rally against masks really yes <laughs> that was not fun no, um we've i mean the, the, we've had those people from pretty much the beginning they've been rallying um as soon as they were able to um weekly so i think that that's happening everywhere yeah it, it kind of it kind of blows my mind a little bit but i'm i just keep hoping that they're in the minority and that, yes, you know, yeah. I'm, they must be in the minority because there's only about 50 people that showed up for that. Yes. But yeah. It still broke my heart. You know, we, one of the things that we tried to do as well, beyond just having shows within our, the, in our own theater, mm. um, we had one kid's show. And so mm. we made the decision that, well, let's do this one in open air. Let's do this one in a park. Right. A little bit safer for kids, especially, you know, if they want to run around and they want to move and, you know, so we can have a relaxed performance, let's put it in a public park. And it had been going really well. And then the last day we found out that, you know, despite having a permit to use the park, Mm. we arrived there and we found this, you know, 50 person rally, Mm. you know, basically going all QAnon on everything. Right. (laughs) And (sighs) tried to get them to move away. The Unfortunately, the police were of no help to us. Right. Uh, and it uh, broke my heart to see, you know, yeah. 50 some odd people rallying for this thing. And I'm mm. looking over at this wonderful children's puppet show that's absolutely mm. beautiful. And it's got, you know, about 20, 25 people there. Mm. So it mm. just, it breaks my heart when those kinds of yeah. things happened, you know, and that's the world we're in right now. It's so divisive right now that, you know, people can't even agree on protecting people's lives it blows yeah. my mind that's a that is one of the sad outcomes is that obviously there are people who are like well it's okay if other people die as long as i'm comfortable Ugh. <laughs> right <laughs> yeah uh just to, to 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 sort of wrap things up one of the questions i have been asking everyone is, since the pandemic started and uh, everything is is what is giving you joy each day what's what's bringing joy into your life that helps you get through each day oh gosh star trek um, <laughs> no seriously i've i've you know i've i've gotten a chance to go back and rewatch some of the shows from my childhood that mm. i absolutely adore and so my partner and i sat down and he said you know what let's rewatch star trek deep space nine nice and it's been so nice <laughs> i've definitely binge watched a lot of shows um <laughs> from my childhood which has been kind of fun and interesting to go back and look at those with a new lens you know not being 12 anymore being 35 <laughs> now um definitely have a deeper appreciation for captain cisco um uh-huh. so that's definitely one um there i I've, I've become an introvert i think 
Hmm. I, I'm still working on that about myself and trying to, you know, find that out about myself is, you know, am I becoming an introvert? Is this just me getting older? Like what's going on? But uh, there's a hmm. part of me that really enjoyed the routine that I built for myself when we were in the quarantine in March, April, and May of right. getting up in the morning, going to my home office, you know, making a cup of coffee, sitting down, getting some work done, having that routine of going downstairs, making lunch, mm. chatting with Rob, and then him going back to work and me going back to my space and just basically developing that routine. It was really soothing. So I think that was a part of it, to, a part of what got me through too, is just establishing mm. a routine and trying to keep as close to it as possible. Yeah. Sarah, thank you so much for doing this. It's been great. This has been really awesome. I've missed chatting with you. Uh, me too. This has been a Homebody Productions production.